to Philippians 4, and I'm then going to read uh, a passage from 2 Kings, which will be more of an illustration for us. We'll be spending our time in Philippians 4. So from verse 10, let's read together. Philippians 4, verse 10 to 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit. That is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the key verse, verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the promise to us today. It's a promise to you today. And so we'll turn to two kings and chapter four and the first seven verses. Two kings, four, and the first seven verses. And one of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, has died. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor is coming to take my two children as slaves. Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go out and borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Do not just get a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into these containers. Set the full ones to one side. So she left. After she had shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing her containers and she kept pouring when they were full, she said to her son, bring me another container. But he replied, there aren't any more. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil. Pay your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the uh, privilege we have to be your children and to call out to you and pray to you and 
enjoy your presence together. Lord, we, we thank you that we don't have to pretend to be anything other than who we are before you, that you see us as we are. You understand our fragility. You understand that we're temperamental and fickle at times. You receive us as we are. I thank you, you love to pour rich oil into empty vessels. And I thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit who has been poured out among us. And Lord, I pray would you see each of us as we are here today. Would you see our sense of emptiness and need? And I pray would you fill us to overflowing with your goodness and grace. I pray would we know with great confidence and certainty that you will do as you've said, that you will supply and have supplied all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray, may we never look outside of Christ for the supply of our needs. Help us not to be distracted. Even today, help us not to be distracted. But Lord, lift our gaze heavenward and save us from our insanity. And Lord, would you pour peace upon us in Jesus' name, and I pray, would you help me as I teach this word? Help us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I wonder if I ask you this question, what do your jars look like today? Are you coming with a sense of feeling empty? A sense of feeling like an empty clay jar? Or are you coming feeling full? Are you coming with a sense of, I am full, satisfied, filled up? content. I wonder how you've come this morning when someone has no doubt said to you today already, how are you? How did you respond to that question? Did your answer convey a sense of fullness or a sense of emptiness? How are you doing? I suppose how you answered that question would depend on two things. Firstly, your, your self-awareness of God's grace in your life your sense of how you're doing, or your sense of your awareness of God's grace in your life. Maybe the other being, do you trust the person who's asking you? Are you willing to be vulnerable with that person? And that's a real, that's a real thing. I hope that each of us have got a friend who you can speak with and be able to say, my jar's pretty empty right now. And if, if you don't have that friend, I, my, my biggest prayer today is that you'd be convinced that in Jesus you do have a friend to whom you can go. But we all want to be friends here as well. This is the beauty of being in a church, in a, a church community like this, is that this should be, and I hope it is, certainly for me it is, a place where I'm able to say, please would you pray for me, I'm feeling empty. Um, and know that someone's going to sit with you and pray with you and help you. Later on we're going to be having communion together. And I would really love us to turn and pray for one another as we take communion together. Now that might be quite intimidating if you're here and you don't know anybody and you're not pressured into that. In fact, you could come and I'd love to pray with you if that's you. But I'd love us to pray for one another later. I'd love us to be able to say, my, to be perfectly honest, my cup is pretty empty. And if you're saying my cup's pretty full, then you make sure you pray for as many people <laughs> as you can. But the Apostle Paul is saying here, I'm full, I'm content, I'm filled up. So firstly, I want us to think about this idea, learning 
contentment, learning contentment. Verse 11, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. I have learned the secret of being content. I have learned the secret of being content. It's a fascinating phrase for the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, to use. Think about it. There's a secret to contentment. There's a secret to contentment. Do you want to know what that secret is? You know, when you're, if, you, if you're a user of YouTube regularly, you um, will be fired with adverts constantly. And they always try and grip you in those first few seconds to try and keep you on them. And so often the video will be something along the lines of how to become a millionaire, how to get rich, how to lose weight. It will be something along those lines, how to fulfill your potential. Those kinds of phrases we'll encounter in adverts because we're constantly being told what you are and what you have isn't good enough. There's a way in which you can be better. There's There's a way in which you can have more wealth and influence and beauty and youthfulness and whatever it is. You've seen those videos, you've seen adverts. We live in, in a society that's saturated with messages which, which are trying to tell you how to accumulate, how to have, how to improve your circumstances. How interesting, though, would it be if the advert was... Learn the secret to contentment. Learn how to be happy with very little. Learn the secret to contentment. I wonder how many of us would tick that box. So if you could go, right, I could become a millionaire, a multimillionaire, if I learn this lesson, or I could learn real contentment with this lesson, irrespective of how much I have. I wonder which box we would, we would tick. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. This isn't, on this occasion, Paul speaking about something that happened instantaneously. So his story is, as some of you will know, he was a persecutor of Christianity and a persecutor of the church. He made it his ambition uh, to destroy Christianity And it was as he was traveling toward that end on the Damascus Road that God powerfully met him. And instantly his life is completely transformed and turned around. You see, when you become a Christian, when when God reveals himself to you, there's an instantaneous reality to that. In terms of spiritually, we are once dead and then we are made alive. You don't gradually become less dead, you suddenly, you're transferred from a kingdom of death into a kingdom of life. And that's what happens at the point of salvation. But Paul's not speaking about that type of instantaneous transition here. He's speaking about something that's more gradual, something that's more of a process, something he says he's had to learn. Over the weekend, I was with my, my boys just thumbing through their exercise books from last year's uh, school. We come back with 
bag loads of <laughs> these exercise books. And I was just, I was just lying on bed with, with Calvin, just going, just flicking through. He's like, he said, Dad, what are you looking for? What are you, what are you wanting to see? And uh, he was very nervous. <laughs> I just simply said, I just want to see what you've learned. Just want to see what you've learned. Just want to see what progress you've made. And it's, it's encouraging to see that the quality of his work in September is not as great as his work in May. That you can see progress. You can see improvement. He's learning. When it comes to contentment, there's something for us to learn. That we're not perhaps now where we were, and in our Christianity, in our walk with Jesus, we are being moved along in our learning and in our understanding. So that I hope those of you who are long in the tooth Christians, who've been Christians for many, many years, you would say, do you know what? I have really learned this lesson, contentment. Because when you become a Christian to start with, there can be the sense of suddenly everything's going to be sorted for me. Everything. All, of the, all the negative stuff is just going to go. All of my, all of my negative thinking is going to go. Uh, it's just going to be unrivaled joy and bliss. And it's going to be like this every day. And then reality bites quite quickly. And it can be quite disillusion, disillusioning. Oh, life remains difficult. It remains challenging. I didn't think it was going to be like this. In fact, that can often be a conversation we have with people after their baptism. There's this build-up and this excitement coming to a point of baptism, which is glorious and wonderful. And then we, I don't know how many times I've had conversations weeks, months after with people who've been baptized saying it's actually been really difficult. And then we need to talk through passages like these. We're learning. We're growing. We're increasing in our understanding. Jesus has not just called you to a moment. He's called you to a life with him. He's called you to walk with him, do life with him. This is what he's inviting us into. Godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul says in 1 Timothy. For we were brought, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. How different would the world around us look if everyone was living contentedly? Just how different would it look if we were all content with our lot? How different would Winchester look if we were all content, happy, satisfied, full, content in our marriages, content in our careers, content in our families, content with our friendships, content, full, filled up, satisfied how different might the world look see Paul said I've learned to be content with a little I've also learned to be content with plenty I've learned to be content in need I've learned to be content in abundance it's very challenging both of these extremes are very challenging it's been interesting for us moving from Portsmouth to Winchester, from probably the poorest city in Hampshire to the most affluent, and to observe contentment. You'd think, you know, living in Winchester, well, this is the place that people want to be. This is the dream. You know, green spaces, brilliant schools. It's, people want to move here. People are moving here. This is the 
you know, let's put it bluntly, this would be the asylum seeker's dream, to come and live somewhere like this. They would risk their lives to come and to live somewhere like this. How content are people living here? You can have plenty and still not have enough. You can feel deeply discontented and challenged by your circumstances and seeing great poverty as we did in Portsmouth who were constantly being reminded of our abundance. Constantly. You're seeing the neediest people and I'm constantly feeling challenged. I've got a house. I've got, I've got a, a wonderful family. I've, I've got a job. I, I'm so richly blessed. And I would, let me just be honest, I have never felt more aware of my temptation to feel like I don't have enough than I have since moving here. I'll just be honest with you. We're surrounded by affluence and comparisons. You just go for a little walk down the road. Oh my word, look at the size of that garden. <laughs> look at the size of that house. They've got a swimming pool. You see the swimming pool? Look at that. Wow. And then the next temptation is, and why don't I have that? It's just me, is it? It's a, such a human instinct. And the issue isn't affluence, and the issue isn't poverty. The issue Paul is actually challenging is contentment. So we shouldn't go, oh, I, I feel terrible because I have a lot. That's not, what Paul's, <laughs> that's not what Paul's arguing for. And you shouldn't feel terrible if you have little. What he's saying is, irrespective of the circumstances around you, irrespective of the wealth that you have or don't have, you can be rich and full and content and happy. And he said, I've learned that. That's the lesson that I have learned. It's a lesson that we need to learn and understand. And if we can, if we can get hold of this secret, there is great gain for us. Huge gain. In this church, we have people of, we're, we're a mixed church. We're a church of diversity. Hallelujah. May it increase. We've got a real problem if this is a church that only welcomes those who are wealthy or only welcomes those who are poor or only welcomes those who are white or only welcomes those who are black. If we're seeking to be a grace culture where God says, come to me, all people. If that's the message we're speaking, we should expect to find there's a mix among us. And we should celebrate that and not despise that. We should be satisfied in that grace towards us. But we do have a particular challenge in our setting, which is how do we find contentment in affluence and with plenty? So the secret of being content, what is this secret? Paul, tell us. We need to know. There's a YouTube channel for you to appear on. Verse 12. I know how to make do with little. And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. There you go. Through him who strengthens me. And then he continues to develop this idea. You see, Paul's writing this letter to this church in Philippi, and they don't have very much. Materially, they're not very wealthy at all. In fact, they gave out their poverty, we're told. But they're so generous. And Paul is writing from prison. 
He's writing from his Roman prison, most probably just before he gets executed. His execution would come in Rome, we believe. And so from the context of Rome, he sent this letter to the church in Philippi, and he is just so thrilled with them. Because despite the fact he knows they don't have very much, they're the church that faithfully would give to him and would help him and would um, seek to bless him. And think about it, from his prison cell, from his prison cell, he's saying, hey guys, and by the way, you don't need to send me anything else. I'm really full up. It's like, I've got abundant, abundantly more than I even could imagine. What a challenge that is. What an incredible thing to say. Do you mean to say that there's a type of contentment, there's a type of a fullness, which means I can feel happy, satisfied, brimful, even if I'm made bankrupt, even if I get a terminal diagnosis, do you mean it's, is that possible? Well, look, here's the thing. Not only is it possible, not only is this maybe aspirational, we're commanded to live like this. You think, what? How can you be commanded to be like this? We are told, you shall not covet. Right? So to covet is to not be content. It's to be discontent. Covetousness. I want that. And this passage in Philippians, which is so rich, speaking about peace, speaking about thankfulness. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a beautiful passage. There is so much here worth memorizing. You should memorize that. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'd encourage you this week, memorize that. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As I step into, as you step into work, as you step into college, what is it you're stepping into? He strengthens us. He comes to strengthen you. I want to read Psalm 37 verse 4 to you. It says this. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, this is a true story. I had a friend of mine, a good friend, came to me and said, Tim, I'm really struggling with that verse. I was like, take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you your heart's desires. What is it that you're struggling with? And this friend said, well, do you know, we've been longing for the house. Uh, The house which we're praying for we're believing God for and you know what I read this verse and I thought oh if I pray and if I worship and if I praise we could get the house because you'll give me the the desires of my heart it says here delight yourself and and he didn't give me the house so I'm really struggling to understand why God would have this here if he's not giving me the desires of my heart now you may not have put it quite like my friend put it but I think we can all relate to the sentiment behind it. God, why haven't you done this for me? Why haven't you given this to me? Why don't I have this thing which I've been longing for that I've been desiring? Now the verse has been misunderstood. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Or let's just think about it a slightly different way. Your heart's desires 
are given through delighting in the Lord. My heart's desires are met as I delight in the Lord. The desires of my heart are not ever going to be fulfilled through earthly things. You're not, you've not been wired for those desires to be satisfied here. And if you're looking for those desires to be satisfied here, as my friend was, I want this house. Because ultimately, the desire for her wasn't God, it was the house. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, do you mean I can't bring before God the things which I, I want? Of course you can, and you should. But there's an even greater need that he wants to meet, and he wants to meet your heart's desires, He knows that you desire, that you have longings. He knows that you have cravings and that you hunger and that you thirst and that you have need deep within you. And he knows that you've tried all kinds of things. He knows that you've dabbled with alcohol and sex and the things that this world has to offer. He knows that you've done those things and he knows that they haven't satisfied those longings yet. He knows you still have unmet, unfulfilled desires. And he says, delight yourself in me. Which, of course, just think about it. What can be greater? What can be more beautiful? What can be more glorious than the creator himself? You see, if we are looking to created things to fulfill that in us, then we are lifting, we've not lifted our, our eyes high enough. Look heaven, heavenward for your sanity to be resolved. <laughs> There's an American poet from the last century who said this, in contentment, I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss. This is not a Christian, this is a secular poet. says, in contentment, I still feel the need for some imperishable bliss. What does he mean by that? He's saying, in the perishable world in which we live, even in the great and the good and the wonderful, I I find in in me, he's not a Christian, I find in me a longing for something imperishable. You and I can relate to this. Last month, it was my wife's, wonderful wife's 40th birthday. And so we we were on holiday in Devon with the kids. And uh, we had the mother-in-law with us, so we took full advantage and we went out for an evening meal. And I was like, right, let's do this properly. So we went to a restaurant and we had a taster menu. We'd not done it before. It was extravagant, okay? It was expensive. It wasn't cheap. I was like, really? Are we really doing I wanted to do this. Now, it won't surprise you to learn that I'm a foodie. And so this was exciting for us to head out to this restaurant. And every meal, every, every dish was tiny. It was tiny. But my word... As it went, as the, as the mouthful went in, I didn't know what to do. It would have been really awkward sitting opposite me. I was like, do I chew this? I can't swallow it. It'll be gone. I have to savor every second. And as I was chewing and swallowing, I was annoyed with myself because it was gone. And it was incredible. 
incredible. And once the last dish was over and the big bill came, <laughs> wow. This is what he means. Even in the moments of bliss that we get to encounter on this earth, there's this pain of why does it have to end so quickly? Could there be an imperishable bliss? Could there be, could there be a reality where all of those desires and longings are met in such a, such a way whereby I don't feel robbed or bereft at the end? And you know what I'm talking about. You're on holiday, you're on the beach, you're having a wonderful time, and the next morning you wake up covered in mosquito bites. Right? We are reminded this isn't heaven all the time. We're reminded all the time that this is a perishable planet that we're living on. And Jesus knew this as he was before the crowd and he fed the 5,000. They came to him the next day. They came to him the next day not because they realized that he was God and wanted to worship him. He says, you've come to me not because you saw a sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves and you want another meal. It's like, you, it's like me going back to the restaurant the next day, trying to capture this, have this thing. And, and Jesus says, don't hunger for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts forever. Food that lasts eternally. Food that doesn't perish. There is a food that you can eat. And the benefits of it go on and on and on. What is that? That's what they cried out. What, what is this? Give it to us. And he says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the bread of life. You must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. And what did the crowd do? They ran a mile. This guy's crazy. They ran from him. They ran from heavenly treasure because all they knew they wanted was earthly treasure. And they ran from Jesus. And it's a tragedy that happens every day that people are offered the bread of life and yet choose instead food that perishes. I hope none of you will do that today. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You can be full. We receive, the word of God says, an imperishable seed, which means that something of what Jesus has spoken about begins in our hearts the moment we turn to him. There's an imperishable seed. There's a longing within us. Those of you who are Christians will relate and will understand this. There's a sense of, I know how all of my longings are going to be one day fully met and satisfied. And the spiritual longing and craving of my heart has been met and satisfied in Christ. And yet my flesh remains weak. And my flesh continues to have passions that the world would say fulfill them here. And yet I have this struggle and this wrestle. I want to be led by the Spirit. I don't want to be led by the flesh. That's the cry of the Christian. I want to be led by the Spirit, this imperishable seed that's taken root in my heart. And I must kill the temptations of the flesh, which is what we're instructed to do. We put them to death. That is hard. That, 
that's hard. And the, the scriptures describe it like this. We're, we're, we, do, we get it wrong. We're thirsting. And instead of climbing the mountain to drink the fresh spring water, we dig up in selves, instead muddy puddles. And we drink that because it's there. Because I can't face the challenge of the mountain. But the mountain stream compared to the muddy puddle. When Jesus says, come and drink, delight yourselves in me. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts to eternal life. And so finally then, verse 19, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. My God. Can you say that? My God. It's not just God. It's not just some abstract religious idea. My God, the God that I know, the God that I've walked with, the God who has provided for me over many decades and over many years, the God who has been faithful to me in every moment, who has never had me go without, who knows that I need food and clothing and a a shelter for my head, my God will supply all of my needs. He is mine. He's my God. You know, we're called to bear witness to what we know. I had a lady come up to me at the festival last week and, and she said, I really struggle to know what to say. I'm a recent Christian. I don't quite know how to speak to my friends about it all. I just said, you're... Talk about your God. Say who your God is. Say what your God has done. Speak about the difference your God has made to your life. Bear witness. That's what you're called to do. Just be a witness. There's no way we're going to be able to answer everybody's questions. We're not required to. But we are called to be a witness. You will be my witnesses. My God, Paul says, my God shall supply all of my need. All of my need. What does that include? Well, it's everything, isn't it? It's everything. All of my needs, all my needs, material, emotional, spiritual, all of my needs, he will supply. He will meet them, all of them. And I love how he puts it with this phrase, according to his riches in glory. Now, it's so important that we hear this. Because elsewhere in the scriptures, it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? So Paul could have said, I know my God will supply all of your needs because he owns all the stuff anyway. It's all of his stuff. So he owns all the cows. He owns all the houses. He owns all the bread. He owns all the supermarkets. He owns all the restaurants. He he owns it all. He'll provide for you because he owns all of that stuff. But he doesn't do that because to do that would be to kind of set our gaze upon what's earthbound, wouldn't it? But what he says is, here's how he meets your needs. It's according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So he says to us once again, lift up your eyes. Lift up your gaze. He will meet all of your needs. But it's, his, it's according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because the reality is, friends, He knows my needs more than I do and better than I do. And he knows what I need to hear. He knows what I need to receive. 
He knows how prone I am to worry and anxiety. And he says, Tim, I want you to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I want you to know that you are in me and I am in glory and I have got you. He's got us. I'm going to provide for your every need. I'm going to provide for you abundantly. And this is written by a guy who's about to face execution. And he's saying, I am full. I have abundance. I am in Christ. Hallelujah. What a privilege that is for us. And it's such a provocation. I love seeing this. And I get to the privilege of seeing it all the time. One of the privileges of being a pastor is you, you get to hear how people are doing and what's really going on in their lives quite often and there are many in this church and I know that you have some very real needs needs for miracles need for breakthrough and I'm seeing even in the face of people like that a joy in God which is extraordinary there's this moment Going back to Daniel again, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before the fiery furnace. And they're told, you must bow down and worship the golden statue. I wonder if you remember the story. They're like, how can we worship? This isn't God. This is an idol. We, we, we will not bow down and worship. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I will throw you into the furnace. And they say, Nebuchadnezzar, our God can rescue us from the furnace. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down and worship this statue. Because they knew that their greatest need wasn't even their mortal lives, but was the immortality of what true worship is, knowing who God is. And that was gold to them. You are, many of you, longing for a miracle right now. And can God do it? You bet he can. But even if he doesn't, is he still God? Is he still good? And does he still have a purpose for your life beyond this one? For we have come to learn that his love is better than life itself. That's what the Spirit of God puts within us. Keep praying for the miracle. But don't bow down to it and worship it when you know who your God really is. In Christ, he will supply all of your needs because he has done so Already in his death, in his resurrection, he has overcome your greatest need. You will live forever in him, in glory. It's done. It's started within us. So you can pray for anything else if he's given you that, knowing that his love has been demonstrated so emphatically already. I'm going to ask the band to come, and we're going to take communion together.